Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin. And I'm Marcella. And this is Beyond the Pen, where we take the well-known adage, read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books, but also learn the story behind the story. Welcome everybody to the show. My name is Maccabee Griffin. Uh, Marcella is not feeling good today, so I'm going to be running this show solo today, which will probably be good because I don't have to worry really worry about her shade being thrown my way and her ego getting in the way. But I digress. I know she's going to hear it later and she's going to give me a call, but we'll figure it. We'll deal with that. So, but today's today's book is something I think a lot of people, especially those that are parents of children that have dealt with trauma in their lives um, or just themselves that have dealt with trauma in their lives. This is a book that I believe a lot of schools need to have. A lot of children, uh, young adults, teens need to read and feel more empowered by the lives of these specific characters. And so I want to go ahead and just get into this because I really am excited in a way because it's going to help with my healing. Because as you people know, as everybody knows, I have a little background of trauma in my life. So it hit me on a couple of things, but it also made me think about a few things too. So let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Kern Carter. Kern, thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate you being here, man. Yes. And thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited actually to have this conversation. Good, because you know what? It's a conversation that everybody needs to have in their lives. Okay, right? let's go. Like I said, with people that have had some type of trauma in their life, either when it was young or if it's a little bit older, whatever the case may be, this opens up a gate to everything that's happening in our world that a lot of people are just not wanting to have a conversation about. And especially with next month being mental health awareness, I think this is definitely the best way to kick off that month. So before we get any further within in your book, would you uh, just introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit and tell us briefly, you know, maybe something that they can't find about you on the internet? Oh, good call. So, I mean, my first of all, I'll start with my name. My name is Kern Carter. I am a full-time writer, which I am very proud of. That's why I say it like that. Um, it's something I really worked hard to say. So, so yes, that is the first thing. Three-time author. This book is my first published book. Um, I'm also a single father to a now 19-year-old, soon-to-be 20-year-old daughter, um, which is insane. Um, but I had I had it when I was a teenager, so it's not it's not that crazy. Um, and then maybe something you won't find on the internet is, or maybe you will find this on the internet. I actually played Division One college basketball for two years at St. Bonaventure University. Um, we were in the NIT this year. We did pretty well. So yeah, that's that's something. That's pretty interesting about my life. And another little tidbit, if you ever want to do a fun fact, my older brother played in the NFL for the Seattle Seahawks for four years. So, yeah, we have a pretty athletic family. Sounds like it. We've also <laughs> got a very intelligent family. Sounds like it, of course. Definitely. So here's another thing I, I want to allow you to do instead of me just trying to, to explain it to everybody. Please tell everybody what your book is called and just give us a quick summary of it. So the book is called Boys and Girls Screaming. It's a YA novel, young adult novel. 
Uh, the quick summary is just there's a, a, a group of friends, a group of three friends and, and siblings who get together and they decide to form this group called Boys and Girls Screaming. And the group is for students at their school uh, to come together in real life, which is very important. They come together in real life to try to um, to share their traumas, to share all the all the struggles that they've gone through, and they try to heal. So it's essentially like a teenage healing group um, with no adults, no parents, no nothing. It's just the teens that are trying to heal themselves and, and get through their problems on their own, and then all the adventures and ups and downs that happen with that. You know, I love that because a lot of times teens just need to talk to teenagers and feel that connection comparative to, you know, it feeling like therapy with an adult. But when I started reading your book, I did what many people do and saw what you wanted us to see. But then when I was going to pick up my son from school, I started to think about some things that most people don't see or even think about. For instance, the main protagonist, mom was her what was her reason for saying you shouldn't be here i'm leaving do you hear me and mm -hmm. leave a very young candace alone in an apartment by herself until the property manager and her teacher found her yeah wow great question um you know you you the real reason is the mother has some mental mental health problems. So she's struggling with mental health. And we don't know that at the beginning of the story, but she struggles a lot with mental health herself. And she comes from a family where she, where her mother was also abusive and stuff like that. So she, her mental health struggles is kind of passed on, was passed on from her parents. And now she was struggling with it. And she was just at that point where she couldn't take it anymore. And she, she walked out, she walked out in a very young, young little girl and left her on her own. Literally, literally. Yeah, because here's the thing. I, I remember going back to it. It's like she was only three years old mm -hmm. and she was left for, there for days. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't say specifically how many days. It just says days. But I wanted to also bring it from a different point of view as well. When you're looking at this little girl who doesn't really care. She doesn't really notice. Mm -hmm. Honestly, mm -hmm. she's just sitting there painting and eating cereal. Yeah. So, but I did want to see if there was, if you could give us a little bit of a clarification on this three-year-old being alone. Yeah. And then also paint the picture from a different point of view. Paint the picture of what the project manager and the teacher were thinking and feeling when they just opened this door and see this little girl. Yeah. So um, she was three years old when her mom first told her that, you know, why are you here? In the actual moment when her mom leaves, she's five years old. Um, so she's in kindergarten. And that's important to just just to know. But I think from the young girl's perspective, I'll start with her first from Candace's perspective. Again, she she understands at a very early age who her mom is. She knows who her mom. She knows her mom is not a reliable person. She knows her mom is a vacant person. When I say vacant, meaning she's not connected to her um, emotionally. She feels that at a very young age. Um, she, when she talks about her mom walking back and forth and hearing it, hearing the the the, 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 the uh, floor creak, um, when she talks about being punished just for trying to to get some food, she understands very early on who her mother is. So when when that when her mom leaves and she's by herself. For her, it's almost like nothing new. This is how she is anyway. Um, 
obviously she understands that her mom is gone, but she under she she functions on her own and independently anyway. So that's why she's able to go for it. It's I think in my in my story, I'm thinking it's two days on her own and just eating cereal and stuff. That's what she would do anyway. So that's important to know. But then from the property manager and the and the teacher's point of view, now the property manager is is the property manager of the apartment building that they live in. He would also have an idea of how the mother is. Um, so for him to come in and see that, although it's very it, it it's very shocking to him, and I think all I have him do is really shake his head. Although it's very shocking to him, it's not surprising. That's why I didn't make him react like that. He didn't react like, with like, oh my goodness, what is that? Like he didn't react like that. He just said he just shook his head because he understood again that that Candace's mother was going through something, and 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 it wasn't surprising for him, even though it was shocking. Now the teacher um whoo that's a that's that's a heavy one I, I i almost feel like the way i i wrote it is that i wanted it to feel a little bit like fate that that happened so i i wanted the reader to to suspend just like a little bit of reality for a second and say you know what like here's this moment where all the things all the 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 how, what do they say all the planets align um where everything kind of lined up and this this teacher who teaches Candace's who's Candace's kindergarten teacher, she comes in and she just notices that Candace has not been in school for days, um, with no phone calls, which is an, an odd thing for for a young a student that young, um, and she just knows. And when she goes to the door, when she calls a property manager and they go to the door together, um, and she finds Candace, she's it's that immediately it feels like I wanted it to feel like this is my daughter. That's why she picks her up and she takes her to the bathroom you know, like right away and just cleans her. I wanted it to feel motherly. I wanted it to feel like something caring right from the jump. So I think when I looked at, if you really kind of break it down from all those different perspectives, which is great, no one's asked me that yet. Um, I think the main thing, the core thing is that the, the mother's mental health was something that was understood. So regardless of who's coming into the situation, the property manager, the mom, uh, or Candace's, Candace's will become Candace's mom, her husband, they all understand um, what they're already dealing with. And I, I'm glad that you were talking about that because there is even a point where she doesn't even want her to call her mom. Mm. She, she can call her mom out in public, but at home, she just wants her to call her, it was a Julia? Yeah. She yeah. just wants to call her Julia and that was it. And there's like nothing there. And to give a little insight into her mentality, it, ladies and gentlemen, is the fact that, and I know we're hitting on some things that are probably going to hit very close to home to people, but I still believe that it's something that we need to have this conversation out loud. Because again, I've been through it. Many people I know have been through this. And it's something that we need to be outright brave enough to talk about because that way we can actually feel that empathy for children who are that we don't even know that are going through it too. And we're give them that capability of saying, Hey, if they can talk about it, I can talk about it. But the one thing I really wanted to talk about was in, in, continuously with Julia and her mentality and her mental health there was the fact that she has a, this is not just her generation. It's just not her, but it's also, this is a generational thing. This is also her mother mm -hmm. and possibly even her sisters. In mm -hmm. Because I remember you, you painted this picture very clearly 
of her mother basically being dead in the seat with a cigarette in her mouth, just hanging there with the TV on loud. And then Julie comes walking in and her two sisters are just sitting there on her lap, just watching TV, eating like nothing's different. Now, for me, that hits on quite a bit of different things that we could just go on a tangent with. But I did want to just talk about in general of the, the idea of this being a generational thing. This is like a continuous generational thing, because as someone who's had a, a history of trauma and mental health in my biological family, it is very easily to see, hey, I understand exactly where it's coming from, but I don't want to continue it. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it was so hard for Julia not to do that? She didn't have the, the resources. She didn't have the, first of all, she didn't have the understanding because if you go back and if I, I'm thinking timeline, right? Like her grand, her mother probably would have been born sometime in the, in the like, like forties or something like that. Right. Um, she's born sometime in the sixties or something like that. So, or maybe, maybe seventies or something like that. So what, what I really wanted to show is like specifically with Julia is that when she at least has some kind of resources much later in the story, she's at least able to function, right? Like she's at least able to like sit with people and have conversations and not be vacant. She has that. Growing up, she never had that. Her mom struggled with that. There were no resources. She struggled with that. There were no re she struggled with it without getting the resources. She was going to pass it down to Candace. If Candace never got out, if she never left Candace, which is <laughs> here, you want to talk about getting deep. Her biggest act of love was leaving Candace. That's what I really want. I, I hope people could maybe see that. That was her biggest act of love is leaving Candace on her own. Yeah, I didn't no even think about that. But yeah, yeah, that's right. That is true. She had no way to survive. Candace would not have made it. She would not have made it. Her biggest act of love was leaving Candace. Because even though she wouldn't see it like that, clearly she would not see it like that. It was right. the biggest, it was the best thing that she could have done for a child's life or else that cycle would have been repeated. Um and the reason I make um, Candace's family uh, wealthy and, and the whole, the kind of like the backdrop of the, of the entire story is wealth is to actually show a little bit of that disparity. I don't want, I didn't want it to be heavy. Like I didn't want the themes of this to be like super heavy on those things, but I still want people to like, if you're going to read into it, the way you're reading into these things, I want people to notice everything, everything included in the book is done very intentionally. So having Candace be part of this wealthy white family after coming from um, uh, uh, living in an apartment building with a, a mother who sees herself as very black, um, and then and then making that transition, like you see this these different worlds kind of colliding. Even though Candace makes what looks like a very smooth um, transition, these these worlds are going to collide. They're going to keep colliding, right? And then you see the different the the what resources can do to help lift Candace out of that situation. And you see what happens when Julia. Uh, Candace's real mother is not afforded those resources. So even though that's not like the theme of the book, um, I, I, I just wanted to try to touch on these, these like really, really heavy points and these really deep themes um, that are happening in real life every day without being heavy handed about it. Yeah, because, you know, maybe something that, that other people are really not noticing as well. And there's that you're also touching on the aspect of racially mixed families. Because as Candace is a young black girl and then a white family coming in and just grabbing her up and taking care of her, giving her everything that she needs to get past this is something that is very 
very much uncommon in, mm-hmm. in, in our world today. And it happened to me just to give some real life uh, examples of this. My dad, well, he adopted me when I was six months. Prior to that, my biological mother was very much into drugs. She was had very uh, she was very mentally unstable. Um, there was a lot of things going on in her life, and she voluntarily gave me up. And my I, I like to call my sperm donor because he wasn't really anything except that um, wasn't around at all. And here's the other thing that this leads into is the fact that when we're talking about, you know, these three lives that the main characters are in this, Candace, Ever, and Jericho, because of this significant event in Candace's life, it didn't just affect Candace and them. It also affected Candace's biological family, Mm. you know, and, and these are things that a lot of people really don't think about. And I, even as someone who was adopted, I never thought about that. I was just always angry at my mother for just giving me up. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think about it until recently because I just ran into uh, one of my first cousins on her side. And she told me so many things. And her mother actually told me so many things. And how they felt about not even having the chance to even be able to say anything about this or to do anything about this. And it, it hits a little bit close with Candace too, because you say in there, many people didn't even know she was around. Yeah. Let alone, you know, that she was being adopted by another family. Yeah. So my other thing on this one is, could you share a bit about that emotion with us as the author about what they must have been going through after learning about this, was there even an idea of, okay, we need to step in, or is it just like, eh, okay, whatever? Yeah, I, I, I did, I didn't tackle that situation because I wanted to show how disconnected Julia was from the rest of her family. I'll give you like a little sneak thing. I'm going to write a second part to this book because that that's something I actually want to tackle very head on. Like Candace's family coming back in to be like, hey. What about us? Like, you know, uh, we, we were here too. We, she has two sisters. She ha- they have, they have families now. Um, so Candace is missing out on, on an entire family. And I, I, I actually want to, on a, on a much more personal level, I had a very similar situation with, with my own daughter. Um, my own daughter, uh, I have full custody of my daughter. I had full custody of my daughter since she was 13 years old. And as soon as I got full custody, that was essentially the last time that her mother decided to speak to her. Now she had known her for 13 years of her life. She wasn't two or five or six or she would, she knew my, her mother for 13 years of her life. Her mother had two other sister daughters on, on, on her side, um, which my daughter also knew. So she had two sisters. Um, so to leave that, to leave, even though the situation wasn't ideal to leave your sisters, to not have your mother, um, speak to you for five years. Five years is a very, very heavy weight to carry for a child. It's also for the sisters an odd thing to deal with because you're living at home with the parent that's not talking to the other, your sister, essentially. You're, and you have to live at home with that parent. But you, in, in trying to communicate with this, with your older sister, still trying to keep that alive, is is becoming a problem. 
So these are these are 10 and 11 year olds and nine year olds going through these things. You know what I mean? So to me, it's there's it's such a complex uh, relationship structure um, that it was it was actually too much for me to tackle in this book alone, to be completely honest. It was too much to tackle. That's why I'm going to do a second one. But I, I see it from all perspectives. I've, I've experienced it much like yourself. I've experienced it and I'm still experiencing it. Um, so it was easy for me to write because I was like, oh, I know, I know these feelings. I know these emotions. I know what Candace is going through. I know what her mom is, her real mom is going through. I know what her, her, you know what I'm saying? By a lot, like I know every, I could see it from every perspective. So, um, yeah, I really, I, I touch on it. I don't go super deep into it because I'm saving that for book two, but yeah, it's, it's, I understand it from every perspective. Yeah, because I'm, I'm glad you're doing that because this is something that a lot of people don't think about. And it's really hard to have these conversations because, you know, even when I met my biological mother at 18, I met my two of my half brothers at that time. And I was told she had a, a lot of kids counting me. There were uh, six of us all together. Hmm. One of them was was a girl, all boys except for one girl. Now, here's the thing. My half sister, one of my half sisters doesn't even want to know about it. She doesn't care about it. Or at least when I was 18, I was told this. The idea that some people just shy away from it completely. They don't care. But then at some point, there's something there. After all the anger is gone and everything, you have to know. Mm -hmm. You want to know. Because our lives are mysteries. I seriously had no clue what my, even my bloodline was like because of this. And it had an effect on me. There's a lot of times I don't feel like I have that real connection with people because of the fact that this is something that happened in my life. So I wanted to go back into that a little bit more too, because of the fact that you can tell there's a slight difference in Candace as you go on in the book, how she connects with people, how she's affected by certain things and certain events that happen. One of those things I really wanted to talk about was, and you don't really hit this at the beginning, is Jericho. Mm -hmm. When they are alone that first time, and they're very young at this time, at this moment, they're still, you know, he's probably what, maybe kindergarten yeah. at this time too? Yeah. But there was a, a, a point where you actually have where it's just Candace and Jericho. They're looking at each other. She goes, talks about something else. And then all of a sudden ever comes in and just says, no, you cannot. And just grabs him and goes, what is that situation? Ooh. What happened there? Ooh. Because that hurt me because I was like, OK, what happened? You caught everything in this. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. I put that at the end of the chapter too. I was I wasn't even wasn't sure if people were gonna catch that one. No. Um, so a couple of things happened there. First of all, there's just natural children curiosity, right? right. Like you're you're two kids, boy, girl, or however. Um, there's just curiosity. I I who is this boy in front of me? Who is this girl in front of me? That's there's natural that, but on a deeper level, which is why I I flash back to it. Um, it can Candace's mother Julia has had those situations where she's in her bedroom and 
there's a door hanger on and she knows there's a, a another there's a man in there or men in there there have been men in there um so that situation for her was was alarming that's why she stops moving right and she's just looking at him because it's alarming she's aware at 5 years old she's aware because she of the situation with with her previous mother so that situation although they're young they're, they're children there's this like um this this i don't want to like say this off but there's like a sexual energy right like i i right. I, I know how that sounds to people but nothing physical happens um right. there's a there's a sexual energy there though that uh unless Candace had gone through that situation with her mother unless she had if she didn't have that mother she would not be aware of that but because she had her mother uh, that type of mother that left her at 5 years old that brought multiple men into the house that was mentally unstable Candace is a 5 year old that's very grown up right like she's very again she's aware of uh, of the tension and the possibility um of what it means she knows what it means to have a boy right beside her in a room alone she knows that and it's very and it's just to show again it was just a way for me to show um the scars that her mother had left on her that's that's really what i wanted to show like how do you show the scars it it, it happens even at 5 years old the, those mm -hmm. scars are showing even though she's not she won't be able to articulate it um but those scars are showing so it's one of those moments where i really really want to show like hey this there's it's, it affects everybody it affect Candace is affected now. She's not she's gonna be affected later, but she's affected right now in this five-year-old moment. Yeah, because honestly, even in you know, when they start this group, this is something that's still like ongoing somewhat slowly in her brain, just in the background. Just because as someone who has seen it through friends and family that have went through this crap before, it never leaves you. Hmm. It never leaves you at all. It affects you in some way, shape, or form. And a lot of times it is that capability of not being, wanting to be intimate with anybody. And I'm glad you were talking about that because it is something that I don't, I didn't think really anybody would actually pick up or if mm. they did, there's not a lot of out there. So the other aspect that I wanted to really hit upon is that there's a lot of emotion in this. You can tell the difference between how she is with her fake mom, as she, mm -hmm. as she says it, to now her real mom and real dad. You can tell the way that she interacts with people, that there's such a big difference. Mm -hmm. And when you said that, you know, Julia comes back later on in her life, there's always that point of, oh, crap, how do I deal with this? What is going on? And why do you think it was so important for you to actually just bring Julia back into this story later on? Because I, I think part, partially what you said already, I think it never leaves you. I think you think you you think you could be fine without it, and you could you could live and thrive. Yes, I'm not I'm not I'm suggesting that. But to think that that having a, a traumatic situation like your mother leaving your life at whatever age, at whatever age, and leave stepping out of your life is not going to have a deep impact on you forever for 
probably forever. Um, I think, I, I don't know if that's, obviously I don't know how, I, I don't know everyone's situation, but I doubt that. I seriously, seriously doubt that. So I right. brought her back into her life because at one point, Candace, the whole book, she calls her a fake mom. That's my fake mom. I got my real mom now. I'm riding horses. I'm like, my life. That's, that's, she's angry. She's angry. Mm-hmm. But as soon as her mom starts, there's an opportunity to see her mom. She's like, oh, really? Like, like, really? I, this could happen. Like I could, I could actually see her. She right away, all of those walls come down right away. She's curious. She wants to know why, why, why? First of all, yeah. why, why? Yeah. You know, like, why would you do that? It's a, and when she meets her, she's the first thing she says. She says, why? You just, you just, you just don't, like, you left me. Like, you know, like, why would you do that? You know, so yeah. she wants, she wants to know why. And there's, there's always going to be a part of you, no matter how strong you feel you are, no matter how independent you are, no matter how successful you are and how much, how well you do without that parent. And I want to kind of show like, so that, sorry, that was one reason why I brought her back. And the other reason was to um, a little bit to what we spoke of before is to show like here, her mom also went through a little bit of a transformation. Now she was able to get a little bit more stable. She was able to get a little bit more help. So now she thinks, even though she's still not all the way, she thinks that she's able to at least come back into Candace's life um, because she feels like she's in a different place. So I wanted to show like the mom kind of like coming, like having her own transformation and seeing how that would, how, how they would grapple with with actually trying to interact and form a relationship after what I guess it'll be like 10 plus years or something like that. Yeah. And here's the thing that really because this is something that Marcella always looks at is when it comes to, you know, I'm the book guy. She's the the person, the people person. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we always ask is like every author has some type of inspiration to write about this stuff. There has to be some type of personal event in this. And you, you've you already touched on it a little bit with your daughter and your ex-wife. But was there anything else that really inspired you to finally say, okay, I need to put these words down and hopefully help some other children not have to deal with what my daughter or myself have to deal with? Yeah. Oh, most definitely. And I'm happy that we spent most of the time speaking about Candace because the inspiration was for Candace's character. So um, my friend worked at a foster home. So he, uh, you know, dealt with a lot of foster kids. And one time one of the kids came in, uh, it was a new kid and he just came in and he wanted to call his mom and he called his mom and he said, he's probably like 15 years old. He called his mom and he's like, you know, mom, if you come pick me up right now, I won't have to stay. And my friend is listening to the conversation. He's beside him. And he's like, and kid's like, mom, you just come. Just come pick me up. Come pick me up. And the mom said, no, stay. I'm not going to come get you. You stay there. That, when he told me that story of that, like, abandonment, of how that, that, that harsh abandonment, just like cold, like ripping off a Band-Aid, right? Like cold, harsh abandonment. It, like, it stuck with, because he told me the story a year, like, maybe a year or two before I started writing. But it stuck with me. It stuck with me. And when I started writing Boys and Girls Screaming, I'm like, this this is how I want to, this is what I, like that emotion of that like harsh abandonment is where I want to start the story. And that's why the story starts the way it does with that harsh abandonment of parent and, and child. Um, so it was really that, that was a core inspiration for the story. And then obviously the stuff we spoke about before with my own daughter, 
played a huge role in it as well because I was able to relate a lot of those emotions um, of, of abandonment and, and 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 mental health also, just like I was able to relate to that as well. So yeah, I mean, the inspiration, Candace was the first character I found. She she really led the entire, I didn't even have ever yet. I wrote Candace's character, like so, I wrote so much of Candace's character and in writing Candace's character, I was just like, oh, and, she, and she's friends with this girl named Ever. And then once I got there, I was like, oh, wait a second. You know, and I go back and, you know, you get creative and stuff like that. But the inspiration really was that, that real life story of my friend in the, in the foster home. And I'm, oh, man, that is mm, pure gold right there. Because I believe so heartedly that this is a book of about life, hmm. about the differences. Because here's the, di here's the real thing that maybe a lot of people aren't going to pick up on either, or they will, I don't know. But you're hitting it from every single economical viewpoint. Yeah. You're hitting it from the hard streets. You're hitting it from the high society, rich, or the working class. And, and you're also hitting it from just a societal point of view of like, okay, this is way we see this point, And then this is the way we see this point. Because I've ran into people that say so many different stupid things mm -hmm. about how you're, you're, if, if a white family adopts a black daughter, a black child or vice versa that you're messing with the culture you're disrupting the culture that you're not helping them actually learn who they are or anything about them. and it just blows my mind of how much ignorance there is on both sides i've heard it from both sides black yeah. white indian i've yeah. heard it and i think this is a, something that really does have an impact on trauma it it either you know allows it to happen and heal over time or it simply just makes it worse mm. and i wanted to see what your viewpoint on that was because it really looks like again i it's maybe just because of how i think and how i look at characters and stuff like that but I honestly look at this almost as a societal call to, hey, this happens, let's fix it, and not worry about black, white, Indian, whatever. Yeah. We're just children are going through crap. We're just trying to help them, give them the resources that they need so we can end this generational idea. Oh, you. That also made me emotional the way you just broke that down. I'm sorry. That just gave me, oh, yes. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. And it was so important that I wrote that. It was really like you really got me emotional. <laughs> it was so important that I wrote that as a black man to have this black girl adopted by a white family. That was important that I wrote that because you've been through it. I've been through it. Children need parents. I don't care if they're white brown, yellow, green, children need parents. If there's a parent that is willing to go knock on a child's, knock on a child's door, get the property manager and open that door, go get that kid and bring them into their house, that person is special. We should praise that person. We shouldn't say, oh, but you're white raising a black child. What do you mean? I just took this child that was in the house by herself eating cereal and painting and I took her to my home and gave her a family. What does it matter if I'm wealthy, 
for matters if I'm white. What what is what does any of that matter? I just gave them a home. You know what I mean? And I know people are going, I I I was I'm happy you you presented that very articulately. I feel like people are going to be very aggressively. <laughs> they're going to be more aggressively against that. To be completely honest, so I'm kind of oh ready yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting. Like I'm waiting for it. You know what? <laughs> I'm like, come get me. I don't care. I've had it. I've dealt with it. Y'all, if you don't like common sense and you don't like the truth, go away. Go because away. They need this it. Is exactly. This is exactly what we need to hear. This is exactly yeah. what needs to be said. Yeah. I am I'm in full agreement with you. And and I again I it was very intentional. This book, every every layer of this book, it's to me, um, I speak about this a lot, right? Right. I'm starting to speak about this a lot. Writing uh is is like really my life, and it's something that's actually very technical. You have to learn how to write novels. It's not, yes. it's not a you're not get you're a gifted storyteller, but you're not a gifted writer when it comes to mm-hmm. writing novels. So I put a lot of work into learning how to write novels. This book is just like a a, a culmination of 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 the years I put into like relearning. I went to I took a novel writing course to workshop this book. I took two novel novel writing courses to to workshop this book um, because I really wanted to learn the techniques to do all of this. I knew the, I knew what I was dealing with. I knew the complex layers that I was putting onto this, but I wanted it to be in a very simple, straightforward, almost entertaining story in a way. Um, but that, that point you just hit on is like, is one of the details that I just wanted to like, like, boom, like just throw out there and be like, say something, say something. I dare you to tell me that this lady is wrong for going into that house and getting that young black girl and take her back to her home, even though she's white, wealthy, privileged, all the shit you're going to say, tell me that I'm wrong. Oh, I can't wait. That just got me. That just got me. You got me back. You got me. You got me. Yes, <laughs> I got another one. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So we've come to the end of the show where Marcella usually asks these two very simple questions, and I, I've told you what they were earlier, but now I want. I'm really, really excited to hear the answer to these after our great conversation here. Okay, what is your writing kryptonite? My my writing kryptonite is impatience. I'm actually not, I have to learn how to become a patient writer. I'm always very like, I I have the story in my head. I have the characters in my head. I have this plot in my head and I just want to like get through it. I have to, I have to really work on stepping back. And again, this helps, this is done through learning, through, um, through, through partnering with other authors and, and being mentored by other authors and other writers. So impatience i really really had to learn how to slow down and that's once you do that that's how you get those scenes at the beginning where you know like it's quiet tonight and and you could see feel see candace in the corner holding you know her paintbrush with the paint and the cereal out that comes from patience that's being very patient in a scene and making sure that you give enough details so readers could get um really really kind of um deep into their imaginations their own imaginations and see the world that you're trying to create um so yeah that's that's been my kryptonite for a long time i'm trying to trying to break it you know i i agree with that completely and i know marcello would too because we both have that same issue when it comes to our (laughs) writing is that we just want to get all these ideas out and just put it out there and then when i start writing it's like okay how do i okay i need to step back again just Mm. to re reevaluate everything that's in me so here's the other question 
Is there a quote that really keeps you going when it comes to your writing or maybe something that just keeps you going as a good person and on this, this mission of showing this stuff to people? Yeah, I would say there are, are two things. The first one is um, I say all the time or I have it in my mind is that um, I, I write to inspire and to impress. So when I write something, I really want to um, inspire my readers. For sure, I want readers to feel inspired by the stories that they're reading and, and entertained in a way. But then I also like, I love, I really love writing and publishing. Like I've read books where I'm just like, how did they write that? You know, like you read a, a I don't know, like a Marlon James book or Toni Morrison book. And I'm like, how, how do they write like this? So I, I want people, writers, other writers, colleagues to read it and feel impressed. And that really motivates me. I come from an athletic background, like I said, like the the competition of it to be like, oh, did you, did you like, I can write, I, I'm a better writer than X, Y, Z, you know, like, or I'm just as good as a writer. That, that competition part actually really, really does motivate me. So I would say though, that, that quote, I write to inspire and to impress. And then the other, the other thing that I really think that, that, that keeps me going is, I don't know who this quote is from, but it says, it says every drop makes a ripple. Um. And for me, whoo, talk about keeping me going because I'm, I started writing this book in 2000, my first book, sorry, in 2008. I didn't put it out till 2014. I, I, like, I wrote, I, I wrote Boys and Girls Screaming. I started writing Boys and Girls Screaming in 2019. We're 2022. I'm really, really, I exemplified that quote, I think, more than anything because I put drops and drops and drops and drops to get to this point, you know, and I, and I say when I say every drop makes a ripple, I think what I also what I also feel more than anything is like everything I put out does have an impact, you know, or I want it to, you know, and, and I try not to get caught up in the in the um, I don't have 10,000 social media followers or well, well, maybe total I do. But like I don't have 10,000 on one platform, you know, like on one platform, let's just say on, on one platform, on one platform, I don't have 10,000, um, blah, 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 blah. No, like I have a really. Um, engage readership right now like my the 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 people who read my stuff they are they're responding to it they like it um they message me they feel moved by it so for me to when i say every drop makes a ripple I, it's to make it's to remind myself that just because you know it's not you're not at the at the millions yet um and i say yet yeah, because i really do feel i'm on that trajectory but just because you're not there yet doesn't mean you're not having an impact um, and I really do believe I know I know I'm having an impact. So it's really about being gracious and accepting of, of where I am and, and never getting too too full of myself. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely, because, you know, it, it is something that I think is going to be really impactful on a lot of families. And just because of the fact that you took that one step to create that one drop, mm -hmm. it, it is like you said, it's hitting people in places that you didn't even think it would hit. And I, I think that's really great. And I really appreciate you being on here and talking about your book, Boys and Girls Screaming. Thank you so much. The floor is yours. Please tell everybody where they can find you on online, any special events coming up, and especially where they can find your book. Yes. I mean, everything you can find for, about me is online is at currentcarter.com. If you just go there, all the stuff, all my books are there. Boys and Girls Screaming, it's super available. It's it's all your retailers, Amazon. If you're in Canada, it's it's on it's at Indigo. 
um, anywhere you can find books. It's at probably at your local bookstore. If it's not, tell them you need it in there. Um, but yeah, um, go to currentcarter.com. Boys and Girls Screaming is, is the name of this book. I'm super excited about it. Um, so, and I thank, and I'm thankful, Mac. I appreciate this this opportunity. This conversation for me was really was it was really great. Like I really mean that. Um, it felt good to go deep into into the themes and 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 touch with the touch that with the characters. It was beautiful. So I appreciate it. All right, everybody. This is normally where me and Marcella give our last thoughts about our final thoughts, excuse me, of what we thought about the book, what we think about the author and their mission and all this other stuff. So I'm going to be very clear for myself. Now, Marcella will probably get her her thoughts out later on. Um, maybe in the next episode, we'll have her give her thoughts on on Kern after she's seen this and heard this. But for me personally, I think this book is honestly should be in every school, in every library, and every psychologist that deals with children with traumatic events in their lives needs to show this book to them, as well as, to me personally, I think this is up with like Catch-22. I think this is up with, you know, 1982, because these are hitting on social impactful things in our real lives. And it's something that people need to be aware of. So I want to thank everybody for listening to this, uh, especially Kern Carter for being here with us and telling us his story. And as I always say, keep writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pit. <laughs>